These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses, righteousness be restored. And though these are days of great trials, Just worship him. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Sam, Sister Julia, and all the musicians that were so humble to stay in their seats. God bless you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Sure, I'm thankful for the, the worship, the singing, the special sisters. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. It's good to be a Christian today. You know, there's so much going on in this world, and it's becoming more and more manifest who the king of this world is, whose Eden this is. 
This ain't one I want to be a part of. I'm a part of a different kingdom. Amen. We don't need to be caught up in the things going on down here. We got a different catching up that we need to be a part of. Amen. 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 I just going to take a little bit different tonight and then maybe slow it down a little bit. And it's, it's young people's. And I, I just want to say first, Sister Faith, God bless you. It's good to see you. The first young people's here. And Sister Faith Mosca, God bless you. It's so good to have you amongst us. Amen. And it's amazing. I told Father, Brother Harris, I said, my, it's, I didn't realize she was already 13. They grow up so fast. I mean, my children, I remember when they were born. I'd be ashamed if I didn't remember it, right? But, but now they're six and four and two, and this summer they're going to be seven and five and three. And it's like, oh, man. Pretty soon they'll be in young people. So at that point, hopefully we're just out of here. But, <laughs> oh, my. Let's take our Bibles together. Maybe we'll start in John this, more, this evening. John chapter 4. Minister last time on John chapter 2, and then tonight we'll take John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. Maybe next time we'll take John chapter 5. I don't know. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together. I'm going to just want to say, Lord, I'd like you to. Speak to me tonight. You want to slip your hand up to the Lord and say, come talk to me. The Lord knows your needs. He knows your heart. He knows all you have need of tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm raising my own hands. I need you, Lord. And Father, we need a touch from you tonight that you would just come and open the eyes of understanding, ears that would hear, Lord, and Father, give us a heart that would understand the Word of God. Father, we just love you. We look to you this evening. We love to praise you, Lord. And truly, we could go on all night just singing and worshiping. And think of how many times I've sat around even a campfire and just a little guitar and just sang and worshiped. And Father, it's so good to praise your name. But Lord, we love your Word more than we love anything in this world. We love, Lord, to sit and hear, Lord, that, Father, the bread of life just be broken, Lord, and be parted out to our hearts, Lord, and our souls, that you'd feed us and lift us up into heavenly places. I pray tonight that you would just come and encourage those that maybe have had a hard day and had a hard week. Father, would you drop a little extra seed for them? And, Lord, remember us, Lord, we pray. Come by our way. You've seen every hand that's raised. Lord, I didn't just say it to myself, but I know it's true, and it's the word that, Lord, you know the secrets, the intents and the thoughts of the heart, Father. And you know, Lord Jesus, our needs down to the deepest need that we have. You know our desires, Lord, things that we haven't shared with anyone else. Father, you are so great. We love you so much, and we just ask you to have the preeminence now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I was just reading last night from the book, The the Acts of the Prophet, with my my children. And ah, it's been a long time since I read it. It's good to read that. If you haven't ever read that book, it's Brother Perry Green. I suggest you pick it up and read it. You know, just some things in there that you don't find in the messages really 
Billy Bram says some things I don't say in public, but as a man that walked with the prophet, to say a few things and, you know, to talk about how he'd be in the private of a room, have a conversation, and Brother Branham would know all about that conversation. It wasn't a man. That was the Holy Spirit working through the gift of a man. And, and uh, my, isn't that wonderful that God had a man on earth like that today? And on the other side of my flesh, I say, I'm thankful I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Somebody knows everything I'm thinking and saying, but the Lord Jesus knows. Amen. And we ought to always walk all the time and speak and have our conversation pure and holy, even in the private of our own room. And when we would talk to someone close to us, let's have it uplifting. Amen. 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 John chapter 4, forgive me for just getting started slow. I'm going to be standing for a while yet, so I don't feel sorry for you. John chapter 4 and verse 1 says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. (laughs) He left Judea and departed again unto Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me a drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it was that saith unto thee, Give me a drink, thou wouldest have asked of me. And he would give thee living water. And the woman saith unto her, Sir, thou canst thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? The simple answer is yes. Uh, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I give shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Amen. May the Lord's blessing to the word. You may have your seats. If you keep that scripture up there, we will start or we will uh, carry on with it shortly but maybe first put the title up sister I apologize for jumping around but it's a bit of a long title for you but I'll just let you read that soak it in for about okay good enough the son of man the mighty angel the seventh angel the angel and a son of man really I'll be honest with you that's a lot of terminology and I'll just say it this way I, I was I've been pondering a long time on well a lot of things but on, on these specific things, because 
a lot of times these things get said, and it's, I've heard it around the message now for a while, but I want tonight, if you just, just relax a little bit, because I'm, I'm just going to talk to you, Lord will, and I'm not going to get up and preach, but you know how that is when I say that, then something gets exciting, and I start getting up and preaching, so we'll just go with what the Holy Spirit has, but, but I've heard it around the message, you know, that we don't like buzzwords, and, and there's preachers that don't want to preach with using buzzwords because they feel like, I don't know what they feel, they feel like maybe, you know, it'll, it'll take away or you'll, you'll immediately assume something from it. But really, these so-called buzzwords and certain things, I'll use one specific example that we could take, and, and I've thought about it before, maybe it's not, maybe it is good, maybe it's not good, but then I, I begin to ponder on them and realize you know, when Brother Branham says, and she begins to say, she is him, or she be he begins to say the literal spoken words, seed bride, and he begins to say these sort of things and statements and that you could look at and you could say, oh, that's a buzz, or that's something that you're just trying to get a reaction, or you're trying to get an amen, but really, when you are a part of that, it means something more to you than just words. Than just something that no one else was saying, than maybe than the prophet to today that he came and he brought certain things out that other people couldn't see, and to this day people can't see, because it is only by revelation. But when you catch that revelation, when you are in Jesus Christ, then it begins to mean so much more to you. And I'll say it this way: that when a minister can come and preach and he can say just a certain saying, or say, you know, she is him, or she's flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. It's not just a statement to you, but rather it's got a whole meaning and a revelation behind it that immediately uh, a minister of the gospel can take a whole service and condense it into a statement, and you can catch it just like that, and then he can carry on. So it's not just a buzzword. We don't want to stay away from them, and I don't want to, to ever preach and say, you know, well, you know, we'll stay away from this. I don't want you raised under these words. No, I want you raised under these words, because I want these words to mean something to you. That when you hear what is the unfailing body word of the Son of Man, what does that even mean to you? You know, is it, is, it, is it just a saying that really to a lot of, of young people and to a lot of people in the world is way over their head? Or does it something that hits you right where you're living at where you say, no, I understand what that means because I've been, as Brother Eason put it so nicely, reading my Bible and praying every day. And not just reading my Bible, but I've been reading the message and I've been listening to the message and I'm going to encourage you even if you're not much of a reader, don't just listen. Sit down and read. Sit down and see what it has to say. And I say that quite honestly because quite, I, I listen to the message a lot, but still sometimes when I sit down and read it, I go, I didn't catch that when I was listening to it. I didn't see that when I was listening to it. But when you slow yourself down and you read it to pick up every single word, you begin to understand things. And when you read the message, I'll be honest, as young people, just to instruct you, when you read the message, read the Bible with it. When Brother Branham makes a statement and he just says, you know, well, Romans chapter 8, go read Romans chapter 8. Understand what he's talking about. When he throws out a scripture and he says, you know, we're born in sin, shaped in every came of the world speaking lies, go search that out. Because what is he saying? It's not just one scripture. You won't find one scripture. That's three scriptures that he throws all together in one. He says it in other places in the Bible. He says it even in the seals book where he'll throw a scripture out when really what he's actually said as one scripture is actually two scriptures. 
So I'm just encouraging you when, you, when you read the message, read it and understand what you're reading. Don't just skip over it and say, I don't get that. I'll just pass on to something else. I, you know, I'm not a minister, therefore it's not for me. No, it's for you. If you're a part of the body of Christ, it's for you. It's for you to sit there and, and pray over and seek diligently and seek the Lord. And in the same time, be content with what he's given you. Don't try and live outside that and say, well, so-and-so is living up here, so I'm going to try and live up there. So-and-so is okay with living down there, so I'm going to live down there. No, you live with what God has shown you, but at the same time, it has to line up with the Word of God. So I want to take this in this simple title, but uh, the Son of Man, what is the Son of Man? What is the mighty angel? What is the seventh angel? Really, all of these is who is. Who is the angel? Who is an angel, really? And who is a Son of Man? All of these things are statements that are all really, quite honestly, they're intertwined in one way, shape, or form. Because you can't have a son of man without having the son of man. And you can't have the mighty angel, you can't have the angel without the mighty angel. And you can't have the seventh angel without the mighty angel revealing the book. And all of these things, it's all intertwined in a certain way that, that, that it all means something. But what does it mean? Or is it just a buzzword that when someone comes and starts preaching and says, the son of man ministry, and then just goes, Phew, I'm lost. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. So now, the son of man is what we're reading about. When we take it in John chapter 4, and we read about where he says, you know, she says, are, are you greater than, than my father, than our father Jacob? Are you greater than him? He gave us this well. Really, like I said, the short answer is yes. I'm the one that promised him the well. I'm the one that promised him the land. You're talking to the one that talked to Abraham and said, you know, come, I'll show you a land and, and come out of Ur, come out of your, your homeland and I'll show you a place. I'm the one that did all of those things. He could have shown her all that, but just by the simple revelation he gave her, she began to understand that this was that one. This was the I am that Moses met in the burning bush that he, he, she began to understand it if we continue on. And, and in verse, where, we were, where were we at? Verse 14 we read. So verse 15, if you still got your Bibles open, it says, And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, and I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now he begins to show the sign of the Son of Man. The sign of the Messiah. He begins to show, this is who I am. This is who you've been waiting for. This is the one that, that was spoken of in Deuteronomy that Moses prophesied about. Said, the raise of a prophet like unto me and he'll do these things. You can go read in the Bible. It's Deuteronomy. I want to say it's 18 or 16. I think it's 18. Deuteronomy. And, and, uh, but now we go down here and he says, go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus saith unto her, thou hast said, well, I have no husband. Now, I just want to say, to a bystander, that sounds funny so far. To someone who knows her, who knows that she's had five and the one she's lived with now is not her husband. That she's a harlot, that's what she is. And she's, she's come to this place, she says, I don't have a husband, and here he says, you're right. Now, if you just stop there, you could take it and say, it sounds like the discernment's wrong. Because if you're taking on a carnal standpoint, you're looking at it and you're saying, she said she doesn't have one, but she's had five. And the, and the one she has now is not hers, but rather someone else's that she's destroyed another home. 
how could these things be? And here Jesus is, we think he's, we think he's the Messiah, and now all these things have happened. Uh, you know, you understand what I'm, what I'm getting at here. Where now you, you could look at it in a carnal standpoint, but really what he's saying is that God, Jesus being God, he doesn't look at things as we look at things. He looks at things through the word of God. And when he's looking at things through the word of God, that he sees that a woman who's living in adultery, she doesn't have a husband. She's left her headship. She's left her husband. She's left off, and she's living really in her own way. But now he goes, goes continues on. He says, For thou hast five, and, the, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that, set, in that saidest thou truly. And the woman said unto her, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and we say that in Jerusalem, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place that men ought to worship. So now we see she comes to a place, forgive me for just taking this so slow and just breaking it down very simply, but I need to do this for you. Because she finally comes to the place of you're a prophet. Now, if you back it up and you back up into John chapter 3, which we're going to do shortly, you'll find Nicodemus calls him a teacher. And now we're going to get into that because Brother Bannon would say Jesus basically cuts Nicodemus off and says, no, I'm not. I got to, it's right in the church age book and we'll get to that. But now, he carries on. He says, woman, believe me, the hour cometh. When ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what, you know what we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. And in truth. Here's, here's the scripture that Brother Branham would constantly go back to whenever starting out. If you listen to the tapes or read them, read the message books, he would go back to it before a prayer line. He would talk about the woman at the well. Why? Well, saying that's the sign of the Messiah. That's the sign of the Son of Man that's here, the prophet, Son of Man, that's there on earth. That, that's what he said he would do. Reveal the secrets of the heart. So it's the same thing because in the last days, because, okay, I'll jump way ahead here, that there's three manifestations. That there's the Son of Man ministry. There's the Son of God, the dispensation of the Son of God, and there is the Son of David. All three of these are Jesus Christ in a different manifestation. The Son of Man ministry is him as a prophet. That he comes and he's, when he was here on earth, he was in under Son of Man. When he was here, when he went away and the Holy Spirit came, now he's at the right hand of God and then and, and the Holy Spirit, which is also Christ. But what is it under? It's the Son of God, dispensation. And now before the end time, Brother Branham would say, there has to come a space of time where he reveals himself as the Son of Man, which happened through William Branham and is still going on today. Now, and I'm not going to get into what's going on today because we're <laughs> here for hours. How much time you got? I say that just about every young people service. How much time y'all got anyways? Come on. Let's preach till Sunday morning. Then we'll just carry on. And No. But, but then there's another dispensation, which is son of David. 
That's the king. When he sits on his throne, he rules and reigns with a rod of iron, and he does, there is no more mercy at that point because we will at that point be in our theophany body. We won't need mercy because we will have been perfected. We won't have this earthly flesh that fails all the time anymore. Amen. But now, so this we're dealing with what is the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Jesus Christ. It's, 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 it's him under the anointing of prophet, and he revealed himself again the last days when he came and took the book, and it was a land that had been slain. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah, right? Revelation chapter 5 has prevailed. And I turned and I saw a lamb as though it had been slain. He came and he took the book out of the midst of the, of, of the throne. Now, I want to just move on real quick here. The mighty angel. We're going to come back to the Son of Man because in order to understand the last one, a Son of Man, you have to go back and pick up the Son of Man again. But the mighty angel, what is the mighty angel? Brother Branham says in the message in the first seal, he says, I saw another mighty angel, quoting the scripture in Revelations 10, chapter 1. I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, a rainbow upon his head, and his face was the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. Now I will just simply say this about the seven seals. The seven seals, as they're written in, the, in Revelations chapter... I better turn to I think it's chapter 6. That's right. Is that where the Revelation 7 seals are? There we go. Six of the seals open. Revelation chapter 6 and also in Revelation chapter 8. Is where the seventh seal is. That, as it's written there, that's John seeing the symbols. It's revealed to him in symbols that he saw uh, a horse rider come out, and then he saw another horse come out, and then he saw another horse, and he, he didn't see really at the same time, but it was the same rider on the horses, but, and then he saw the fourth horse, and it was a pale horse. Those were all symbols that he was seeing. And they were something that he was looking at that was a, a symbol that, was, uh, that he could write down and say, this is what it all means, and that's what the book of Revelation is. It's a book of symbols, a book of, of visions, but rather, as, as he's writing these things, and I'm going to actually turn back to it here, because if you go down into Revelation chapter 10, you got your... In Revelation chapter 10, this is where we read this scripture. It says, And I saw another mighty angel that come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open. So now Brother Brown says, See, the book is open now. In other words, this is after the seals have been revealed. All the seals are off. The book is now open. The mighty angel comes down. He's got an open book in his hand. It's not a closed book. And he says this, and he says, and he cried with a loud voice. He says, his right foot upon, this, upon the sea, left foot upon the earth. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth, and he had cried. And then and, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now this is why it's so important that these things don't become buzzwords. Because when these things become buzzwords, they lose the revelation that's behind them. And that's how you end up with, 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 with doctrines that go out and deceive people. And I'll say this this way, and I have to say it because it's all over the internet still. That people have spewed their stuff all over the internet. That, that, that you have a doctrine of seven thunders and how the seven thunders still need to be revealed. And there's another angel and there's a this. And there's all kinds of falseness all over the place. But I need to say it very simply to you to say this, to say, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. 
as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders uttered their voices, listen, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. So there was, what was John seeing now? John was seeing what Brother Branham preached in the seven seals. He was seeing the revelation of the seven seals being thundered out. But to him, it wasn't just a thunder. It was a revelation that was coming. But the voice said, don't write these things. Seal them up and put them in the book. What's he talking about? Just leave them alone in Revelations chapter 6 and Revelation 7 and 8. Don't take them out of there. Leave them there. Don't try and open the book now. It's not the time. Because it says in verse 7, it says, And in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. Now I'm just going to make a small differentiation here because the seven, it says the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound. In other words, there's a sounding of the seventh angel, but Brother Branham was not the seventh angel. Brother Branham was the seventh angel messenger. Okay, he was the messenger to this age. When he was here preaching and his message, all the mystery was finished, but that was just the beginning of the message of the seventh angel. So in other words, just because it's all finished and revealed doesn't mean we all understand it at that moment. But rather it's with progressively being a revelation to the bride of Christ as time goes on when the time comes. See, it says, when it should begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophet. So now he describes this mighty angel, Brother Branham says it very simply in the first seal, where he says, now we saw the same thing, which was Christ, who was this mighty angel that came down in Revelation chapter 10. He says, it was Christ. And we know that Christ is always the messenger to the church. Really? I thought Brother Branham was. He was the messenger that God used because God will always come, the word of God comes to the prophets. God will not speak directly, but rather he brings it to a prophet. And I'll say it this way. The spirit of God thunders out. The the angel for that age brings that message to the messenger And the messenger preaches it to the people of that age, the elect seed. They catch it. It goes over the head of everybody else. Are you with me still? Now that brings us back again because now we're kind of intertwining them already to the seventh angel. I read this quote this afternoon or this morning where Ethan and I were on our way to to work and it just so excited me as so I had to read it to him. It's from the, the anointed ones at the end time in nineteen sixty five. And he says this, he says, I wasn't the one that appeared down on the river. Now did anyone know what I'm talking about there? What happened down on the river? He's talking about the Ohio River. Nineteen what year was it? Thirty three. He's there baptizing the seventeenth person. 
And he's down there baptizing them. And what happens? There comes, the papers would say, a mystic star or a mystic light that appeared over a little preacher. And, and he's down there baptizing. And the, what does it say? Anyone know what, it's, what, what, it, what the voice said? Thank you. That's exactly right. How many heard that? <laughs> As John the Baptist was sent to forerun the first coming of Christ, so will your ministry forerun the second coming of Christ. So when he sang her, they saying, that wasn't my voice. It wasn't me that appeared down there on the river. I was only standing there when he appeared. I'm not the one that performs these things and foretells these things that happens as perfect as they are. What's he talking about? That's, multi, that's a multifaceted statement because he's talking about the visions, the seven visions he received that happened just perfectly. He's talking about, I don't know how many countless amount of personal visions that he had concerning people that happened just exactly the way it was. He's also talking about standing there in, in a line and then people coming up and discerning the secrets of their heart perfectly over and over and over and over and over and over again. Night in and night out, multiple times a night. He's saying, I'm not the one that does that. I'm only, that, I'm, I'm only one that's near when he does it. I was only the voice he used to say it. It wasn't what I knew. It's what I just surrendered myself to. That he spoke through. It isn't me. It wasn't the seventh angel. See, that's a very key for any young person that has a gift in their lives or feels they have a gift or is searching to have a gift in their lives. Remember that statement. It's only what I surrendered myself to. You want God to use you? Surrender yourself. It says, and he spoke through me. It isn't me. It wasn't the seventh angel. There you go. And we all think that's, well, he says, I'm waiting for him. How many times do you see her that in a tape? I'm waiting for him. Who was he waiting for? He wasn't waiting for the whole the anointing of the Holy Spirit because it was already there. Because the Word of God says wherever two or three were gathered, I'll be there in the midst of them. In my name, I'll be there in the midst of them. And he would preach and he would say certain things where he would even have uh, in the, in the uh, I pulled it up, but it's in the, uh, the questions and answers on the seals where he would stand and he would read a question, right? about Revelation chapter 5, and he would read it, and he would read it wrong, and he would answer it wrong, and then he'd try and carry on, and then he'd say, something's wrong. Was that the angel? No, he would say, that was the Holy Spirit. Jesus wouldn't let him do that, wouldn't let him make that mistake. It was the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God that came and corrected him in that moment. It wasn't the seventh angel tapping him on the shoulder saying, hey, you messed up. No, it was the anointing of God that was there in his heart. That he knew right away something convicted him this isn't right. So you always listen to that still small voice within you when somebody says something and they say, oh, that's just a wonderful thing. If it doesn't line up with the word, if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, it'll trigger something. Happens all the time where you can say, well, this is just this, this person and it's wonderful. And it can be emotional, it can be great, it can be wonderful. But if it doesn't line up with the word of God and you are born again, it will trigger something in your heart. And you might not have a clue how to, un- how to explain it. You might not know exactly what scripture to go to or what quote to make it make sense. But you know something's quite wrong about that. My only advice is get away from it. If that triggers in you, just walk away from it. 
Or nowadays, because we've got these things that fit in our pockets. This one doesn't, but this one does. My pockets ain't that deep. But you got pockets that have these things, and you can't just walk away from it. It's your phone. It's connected to you. It's your smartwatch. Turn it off. There's something that triggers in your heart like that. So listen, I'm just taking it real slow for you. It was the manifestation. He says, no, it wasn't the seventh angel. Oh, no. It was the manifestation of the Son of Man. And he says, it wasn't the angel. His message, it was the mystery of God unfolded. It's not a man, it's God. He says, the angel was not the Son of Man. He was the messenger from the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Christ. He is the one that you're feeding on. See, catch that now. He's, 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 he's making so many differentiations for you so that way you can understand. The one that's in me that says these things, that does these things, it's not the seventh angel. He's there. He's the angel. He's with me. He's the power, but it's not him. It's Christ. It's the Son of Man. When you, when you talk about the Lord Jesus, he say, don't you know? He said, Peter, put up your sword. Don't you know that I could call legions of angels? But yet to be around him in his presence, it was surreal, yet they didn't catch everything. He would talk to his disciples about he had to be crucified and he had to die and he'll raise again on the third day. Tear this temple down in three days, I'll raise it again. They didn't have a clue what he's saying. They didn't understand until it was all finished. Then they're going back going, oh, yeah, I get that now. They, he would say all sorts of things to them and they didn't get it. they say, why are you talking to us in parables? They couldn't understand what he was talking about if they had just caught who he was. See, I'm saying this because sometimes we want to make an experience or, or a new birth even so majestic and so emotional that we walk right over the top of it. Because to be, and to, to, to be in the presence of the Son of Man, it's not something that you're looking at and going, it's got to be this amazing thing where every hair on the back of my head is standing on end, and there's just, I'm levitating. And No, that's not it. Quite often when ones would see, Daniel would talk about it in Daniel chapter, I think it's chapter 10 or 11, when he would talk about the one that came down and stood before him and he fell on his face and he was just terrified. And he had no strength left. An angel. Then he says, and I saw one like unto the Son of Man. That wasn't terrifying. No, the Holy Ghost is a comforter. I will send the comforter unto you. He's a tutor. That's the teacher. He's the Holy Spirit. It's of awesome presence. Oh, there is awesome presence, presences to be in. But when Jesus would come and he would come to someone, he would say, it is I, be not afraid. You have nothing to be afraid of. That's the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Christ. He says, he's the one that you're feeding on. That's this word. That's this message. You're not feeding on a man, thank the Lord. 
A man's words, his words will fail. Yes, sir. And you found they fail over and over and over and over and over and over again. You don't even have to go as low as trying to figure out the political arena today. Their words fail. All right? I'm amazed when they make promises about when COVID will be over. Really? (laughs) Men's words fail all the time. That's why the Bible says don't swear by anything. Don't go about cursing and swearing and saying, "Ah, I'm sure this is going to happen. No, your words are going to fail. But there's one word that won't fail. It says you're feeding on the unfailing body word of the Son of Man. In other words, you're feeding on Jesus Christ. No wonder Jesus, when he was here on earth, he could come and say to the thousands that were there, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> really? We all, we all know the statement. Brother Ernest says they thought he was, wanted them to be vampires and he was a vampire and all these things. They thought all kinds of things. But here, what was he doing? He was saying, you're not understanding what this is. This is who I am. I am the word. That's why when he came to the woman, he could look at her and say, she says, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, absolutely. In my eyes, you don't have a husband either. Amen. He couldn't look at it any way. And, and even when he said, when she got all emotional and she began to say, you know, oh, you Jews, you think you've got to worship up there and we think we've got to worship down here and everybody's fighting each other. And he didn't get, her, get all up and put his arm around her and say, oh, honey, you just, don't, you just need to understand. I'm here to fix all of those things. No, he was the word of God and he had to speak the word. And the word was the truth and saying, yeah, salvation is of the Jews. Get over it. But the hour comes and is here now. Amen. Sometimes if we just hold on long enough because he was the word made flesh and he had to come down and he had to say when a woman said, Jesus, thou son of David, son of David. But when she finally came to him in the proper way and approached him and she said, who am I that I give the children better to dogs? And she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. When she finally approached him right and recognized he could not break the word. You see why I could say that statement the last time I ministered and say, you know, we we get so mixed up and when we think that things that we filter through our conscience to be good, we call God. And things that we filter through our conscience to be bad, we call it the devil, when that's not how it is. Because the filter is not our conscience, even if we're raised in a message home. The filter is the word of God. And I thank God for being raised in message homes because it makes a better conscience. And it makes for a better memory. And it makes for less scars and those things. That's wonderful. But that doesn't make us any better than anybody else because the grace of God puts us all on an even playing field. And we all have to realize that we all need to come to the same experience, which is an experience with the Word of God. Which is exactly what the mighty angel told John when John went up and and an angel said, go to that angel and take the book out of his hand, which was the mighty angel that came down and had his foot upon the sea and upon the land. And he said, go take the book, the open book, out of his hand and eat it. It's a book of symbols. You can hardly understand that. Not quite like that. 
That wouldn't be very sweet in the mouth. <laughs> it might be bitter in the belly, but it wouldn't be very sweet in the mouth. But it was more than that. They're living words that it's God himself in paper that you could handle him. An angel. Sister, if you put up Hebrews chapter 1, verse 12. An angel. says, and as the vesture shalt thou fold them, uh, fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? I ask you that. Which angel? You say, well, the mighty angel. Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> because that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But that was simply a manifestation of the Son of Man, the Son of God. He says, but which of the angels said at any time, sit on my right hand and, until I make the my foot, thy footstool? Next verse, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Let me ask you, how many of you are heirs of salvation? This is, this is a claiming time. Put your hand up. Oh, yeah, I'm an heir of salvation. I'm a joint heir with Christ. We want to put our name there. We want to make sure that we've got claims on that. And say, Lord, I by faith, I'm going to make sure everything else lines up with that. I'm going to seek out my own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to make sure I know. And he says, what are the angels? They're ministering spirits to you. What is an angel? Brother Branham would talk about you want to see an angel. If you really want to see an angel and you pray to see an angel, you could see angels. That's fine. You could look into that dimension. You could see angels. I'm not sure you'd be all that impressed with what you saw. I'm not sure it might not be exactly with what you thought you would see. Because some of us have a preconceived, well, if I see an angel, I'm going to see it like Ezekiel. No, that's not what Ezekiel saw. Ezekiel saw the throne of God. And he saw the wheel in the middle of the wheel and all these things. He said, well, I see it like John. I want to see it like John saw. John saw specific visions for a specific purpose. Angels are ministering spirits. They're supernatural beings. Investigation angels. Our government calls them UFOs. The random calls them investigating angels that come over. What are they doing? There was investigating angels that went down into Sodom. You say, I'm sure, Brother Andrew, I would be so impressed. When I saw an angel, it would be the greatest revelation. Okay. There were three men that came down one day to visit Abraham. Two angels. One of them was God himself. Abraham made sure they had eat meat to drink and, and then or meat to drink, meat to eat. And, they had drink and they enjoyed their time there. They fellowship with Abraham. And when God spoke his word, I will visit thee according to the time of life. Sarah was so impressed, she jumped up and down and said, praise God, it's going to happen. No, she laughed within herself. Mother Branham says, if she wasn't a part of Abraham, God would have slew her right there. Wow. I thought they would have been so impressed and seen an angel, there would have been no doubt. Okay, I'll give you another one, just in case that wasn't enough. 
Because there's another one. His name's Gideon. He literally had an angel come down and talk to him. The angel told him, go make a sacrifice and go pour it upon the rock. Put the meat on the rock and pour the broth over the rock. And he touched it with his rod and he consumed the whole thing. Turned around and the angel's gone. And he was so certain of it, he immediately met and called exactly 300 men. And he went out and he destroyed the Midianite army. No, he went down and he said, Lord, I got a fleece here. Now, let me just say something about a fleece, because I was fellowshiping when Brother Ethan was talking about our fellowship, so I'm going to talk about our fellowship, Brother Ethan. Let me tell you something about a fleece here. A fleece in the Bible was not used to find out the will of God. The fleece was used to be sure of the will of God. The angel already told him who he was and what he was called for. But Gideon wanted to make sure. So he brought the fleece out, and he, we know he did it according to science the first time. Right? Put it on the ground, the fleece be wet, the ground will be dry. Yeah, science says that. If, you go, if you're going to go out and put a literal fleece on your ground, don't do it that way because you're going to find it right every single time. <laughs> then he said, wait a minute, that, let me do it the other way around. So he did it the other way around. And finally, when he did the other way around, he said, okay, that's good. God was so gracious that he still gave him more nudgings. And he called men and all of these, I remember how many, 30,000 men came or something like that. And then they all came and we're ready to fight. And he said, if anyone's one of you scared, go on home. I'll be honest with you, I'm pretty sure some of us would have been scared. How many of you ever been in battle with a sword to the death before? My hands down. No. The man even says when he received the sword of the king, which Brother Heath was talking about today, that come down and in his hand he said, I was scared of it. Why? Because he's always been scared of a sword. There was no one else there. It was in his hand. Are you with me? So now all of a sudden you're asking, take a sword and go fight against innumerable odds. Yeah, I'd be terrified. If you're scared, go on home. Okay, there's a few brave men that stay. So then he goes down to the river. We all know the story, and he causes them to drink. He said, just use the ones that drink alertly. Don't, don't, not the ones that go down like a dog and lap it up, but just choose the ones that put it in their hand, and they drink alertly. They're, all, they're on alert, and they're watching. 300. Now, you would think, I saw an angel, devil fleece, <laughs> You know, I've, I've, God's watched over me when I destroyed my father's altar. I've seen enough signs. I can do this. But no, God says, no, I'm going to give you one more. Go on down to the camp, and you're going to hear something. He goes on down there. We know the dream. He hears the barley cake come down and destroy the camp. That's nothing more than the sword of the Lord, end of Gideon. And, uh, and he goes back up, and he comes down in a certain way, exactly the way God told him to do it. It wouldn't have worked any other way. It wasn't Gideon's idea. This is how we're going to do it. The Lord told him, this is how you're going to do it. It's exactly the same as Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho. Right? So you with me now? It wasn't a great thing where now he's, you see an angel and you're like, this is awesome. No. It's a ministering spirit. It's something that's even now ministering unto you. You just can't see into that dimension that there's angels always beholding um, their, their, your Father's face. If, if, if you believe your Heavenly Father, God is your Father. Are you with me? 
The Bible says that there's always an angel beholding his face on your behalf. And then you can even take a step up from there and get the Holy Spirit. Now you've got the God himself in you. So where's the angel that's beholding the Father's face before you in his presence? Why don't you stay in his presence? (laughs) Amen. Now, let's move on to a son of man. I've used up all my time, and now we're finally getting to the actual message. A son of man. Go to Colossians chapter 1. In order to understand a son of man today, you need to understand the atonement. going to read most, if not all, of Colossians chapter 1, but this is a bit more like a home meeting for you. I know you're not seated in comfortable couches. No, we don't sit in comfortable couches at a home meeting. You sit in folding chairs from the church. It's probably worse than these beautiful pews. If you need to stand up and stretch, stand up and stretch. I know it's not all exciting and it may get you up out of your chair and shout and jump, but you know what? Thank you, Brother Seth. He stood up. Even though he's up there in a nice wheelchair with arms on it, and not to make any of the rest of you jealous, but Brother Jeffrey, if you're listening, you might get some other young people sign up for sound. Colossians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Coloss. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love which we have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof we heard before in the word of the truth, of the gospel, wherefore of ye heard, there we go, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit. The word will always do that. You can go preach your word all you want, it will bring forth nothing. The word will always bring forth fruit. But it says, and as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Ephraphus, I'm not going to say that right, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Notice he's not praying for all kinds of emotion and all kinds of put on and all kinds of ways. You just have the most incredible emotional services. He says, I would that you increase and that you would be filled with all knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. 
for a purpose that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being faithful in every good work. What's the good work? It's according to the word of God. And increased in the knowledge of God, strengthened with, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. My. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He's putting Jesus right where Jesus should be. Saying this is what he came to do. Now, let's just carry on for a minute. He says, who is Jesus? Who is the image of the invisible God? In other words, if you've seen him, You've seen the Father. The firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. That was their intended purpose. It was by him and for him. That was what they were created for. It was Lucifer that came and perverted things that were meant for good. It says, for, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church. Amen. Talk about we're the body of Christ. Yeah, that, the, 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 head has a, the body has a head. And the head tells it where to go. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence? For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. The Brennan would put emphasis on that when he's reading it for the message, Christ is the mystery of God revealed, he would go back to that and say, see, it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of the cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, to reconcile, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. That's a lot of huge words in there, but I'm, I'm going to come back to that. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And once again, God does not do anything without there being a purpose. You are his purpose. That he wants to make you exactly uh, holy and unblameable, unreprovable. It is not in the sight of the government. It's not in the sight of your peers. It's not in the sight of anybody around you. It's in the sight of God. 
He says in his sight. And what is his sight? Remember I said he could only look through the word. He couldn't look through any other way. He can't come at it from a denominational point of view, from a manly point of view, from a carnal point of view, from a government point of view. He can only come at it from the word of God. So how shall, what should we be feeding on? What should we be thinking about? What should we be fashioning ourselves after? Probably not the fashion magazine. Sorry, we're not magazines. The fashion website. <laughs> the, 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 the games. The macho things you see, young guys, on, on whatever website you want to go on and fashion yourself. Christ isn't looking through those things. He's not looking and seeing the muscle and going, man, that's a fine specimen. No, he doesn't see the most, the most pricey uh, garments and then look at it and say, man, she really knows how to dress herself. He's looking through the blood. Think, but did she dress herself with the word? Did she take the book that I came down, open in my hand and said, take it and eat it? Did she eat it? Or did she spit it back out? Let's go to John chapter 3 for a moment. Oh my, I thought I'd get much further than this. But I trust it's okay. Let's take it slower than normal and just allow you to digest it and then just see it for what it is. That way I'm not skipping stones across the river here. That's not a buzzword. That's just Brother Andrew's statement. <laughs> John chapter 3 and verse 1. I mentioned it, but it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, that came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man could do these things can do the miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, You're exactly right. I'm a teacher, and I'm here to tell you what's right. So listen up. No, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man receive the Son of Man. No, receive the Son of God into his heart. Is what he's saying, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, Brother Branham says it this way in, in, in the Smyrnian church age. He says, one day when Jesus was on earth, a certain important man came to visit him and said, the man said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God. But you'll notice that Jesus cut him off. I'm pretty sure, this is me now, I'm pretty sure Nicodemus came with the idea that Jesus was going to teach him on some things and tell him how to do what he was doing. Nicodemus, I believe, was a secret believer, but he came with a certain purpose. We know that you're a teacher. He wasn't saying, tell me, are you a teacher? He said, we know. I've already got a preconceived idea of what you are. I've already got a preconceived idea of why you do what you do and why you can do it. Because he was a teacher in the Word. He, he knew the, the Torah. He knew the Old Testament. 
He was a Pharisee. It wasn't just the first five books for him. The Pharisees took the entire New Old Testament, and they believed all the words of the prophets. It was the Sadducees, in case you're wondering, who took the first five books, and that's all they wanted to believe. But it was, it was the Pharisee, so he, he knew the, all of these things that were spoken of. He knew Isaiah 53, which, Lord willing, we're going to get to if I speed up and take less time. But it says that, that, that he says, notice, Jesus cut him short. He turned to Nicodemus, this is Brother Branham now, he said, and the words he spoke may well be paraphrased, be paraphrased thusly, to say, I am not a teacher. I am the sacrificial lamb for sin. I am making possible the new birth by my spirit. But there is a one, there is a coming one who is the teacher. He is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is upon the earth, he came as the lamb, as the prophet, see, the son of man. But when he come back upon the church, by his spirit, he came the teacher. So when he was there and he ascended up in heaven, he sent back his own spirit, the Holy Spirit, back down. It came down. I will teach you. I will lead and guide you into all truth. I will comfort you. I will do all these things. What was it? That wasn't Jesus that, that, that here in his corporal body. That was Jesus in his spirit. Then he's saying to Nicodemus, saying, you're coming to me asking me to teach you these great things. There's only one way you can do these things. You've got to be born again. And I'm not come right now. And I, I, I chuckled a little bit at the beginning of chapter 4 because when it says that, that Jesus had baptized more disciples than John, but Jesus didn't do any baptizing. Because Jesus could not break the word. Not for a moment. That he was come to baptize with fire. So he said, I'm not even going to baptize you with water. My disciples can go on ahead and baptize all they want. Because when the revelation comes, on Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, where he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In that time, then there'll be a revelation. Then the, the water baptism will mean something. But at this point, it's just up to repentance. And you can go ahead and do it all day. You're going to have to redo it again. Because I'm not come for that purpose. I'm come for the purpose so that the one that comes after me will baptize you with Holy Ghost and fire. See what I'm talking about now. Where Jesus says, I'm not the teacher. He just cut him right off and said, no. You can't understand these things by a man teaching a man. You can't understand these things. Brother Ram would take it. He would talk about Philip when Philip went up and he began to teach in Samaria and he began to, oh my, there was all kinds of things going on. He was casting out devils and there was healings happening. There was all kinds of people were being baptized. And Simon the sorcerer come around and he wanted to learn these things. And he even believed to a certain point and he come so far and Philip would, would, would do what he could with him. But then they sent Peter and John. And when Peter and John came, Peter and John laid their hands upon these same people that believed. And then these people received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Simon said, I want to buy that. They said, sorry, buddy. You can't buy this. You can't get it anyway. It's the same thing that Nicodemus was asking. Teach me how to do what you're doing. I know it's from God. Teach you how to do it. Well, we've got to be careful with that, don't we? That we don't get caught in that spirit. We see a minister that's doing something great, or we see a brother that's doing something good. Teach me how to do what you're doing. I can turn right around and say, you can only do these things if you're born again. Amen. 
Now, let me just move on real quick here. What is the atonement? The atonement. Atonement is a reconciliation after enmity by expiation. Expiation. That doesn't help me at all. I still need a dictionary. As did I. But that is what that is what an atonement is. Atonement is a reconciliation. After enmity, in other words, there was something that breached. Something that, that's, that's, that made a gap, that made a break in, in something that was meant to be unified. And it does it by expiation. By expiation, expiation. There we go, that's the right way to say it. Now listen, this is not only to satisfy the, rec- the, to satisfy the payment of sin. Expiation. Ex- I can't say it, my word. Blah, blah, blah. Expiation. There we go. You're all awake. You're all laughing. It's good. God bless you. Welcome to service tonight. If you slept, you got something out of the service. Good. Expiation. What does that mean? It means that it's not only to satisfy the payment for sin. Catch that. Because we say Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. Absolutely. But that's not all of it. It's more than that. It also takes away the guilt. And, listen to this, it cancels the obligation of the offended to punish the offender. In other words, it cancels the payment for sin in your life. Where it says uh, the penalty for sin is death. But because of the atonement, that is completely canceled out. There is no more penalty to those things because he took it upon himself. And he died for our sins, but it wasn't just to pay the price to say, well, he paid for all my sins, all my passes. No, but the penalty is completely wiped off. I'm not even guilty anymore. You see what it is to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's more than just water. It's a truly godly sorrow for sin that you become part of his suffering. Because he paid for it in such a way that you don't even have to be guilty of it anymore. And if you have a real revelation of what Jesus did on the cross, you will not be guilty. And you will not feel guilty. And I'm not saying the devil won't come and try and put guilt on you. He'll come all the time and try and remind you of things. But if you have a revelation of your salvation, you will not take that upon yourself. But you will put it back on his head again. And furthermore, it it cancels the obligation because it was God that was obligated when he said, the day you eat thereof, that day you die. God is obligated to his word, but because of the atonement, he's no longer obligated to that word anymore. He's obligated to the word of the atonement. See what I say? In order to understand what a son of man is, you have to understand the atonement because you cannot be a son of man, which is a son of God. It's the same thing. It's interchangeable in our lives. A son of man or a son of God. You cannot be that without the atonement, without a revelation of exactly what he did. The reconciliation that he did when he read in Colossians chapter 1 that he reconciled back to himself. By the blood of Jesus Christ, it's to bring something back into union. To bring the affections that were once alienated. Oh my. 
It's not just to go back to my rightful place, but it's to restore my affections. Where the Bible says, set your affections on things above. It's to restore that I had affections for the things of the world because of the serpent nature that was in me by my first birth. But by reconciliation, my affections are no longer on the things of the world, but it's restored back to things that are heavenly. And it's also to restore favor after estrangement. Estrangement. To restore favor. It's not just a footstool. The complete explanation of our atonement is in Isaiah 53. The complete explanation, and I'm actually going to tell you, write that down. When you go home, read Isaiah 53. Slow down and read it slowly. Take it from the very first to the very end. That is a complete explanation of what Christ did. And you'll find in there where it said, it pleased God. I said I wouldn't turn it. I said I wouldn't read it. But now I'm going to see my word fails. So I just want to get it right. So verse 10 says, yet it pleased God to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, and he shall see his seed. Listen, oh, we think so many times it's something that's bad, and we look at it as bad. Therefore, it is bad, and it is of the devil. But it says here, it pleased God to bruise him, to put him to grief. To make his soul an offering for sin. You watch watch whatever you want because nowadays we've got so many videos on the passion of Christ and how he's crucified. It doesn't matter which one I've ever seen. I weep. But God was pleased to do that. Because it was more than just paying a price. They say, well, Adam fell, therefore you're just going to have to go and pay the price. No, it was more than that. It was to undo. It was to cancel the obligation to the penalty for sin. The Bible says, as the eternal Logos, God was was manifest in the Son. And in Jesus dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and that the eternal and that eternal one was the Father manifest in flesh, and thereby gained the title of Son. Even so we, eternal in his thoughts, in our in, in our turn became the many-membered spoken word seed manifested in flesh. Let me read that again. Even so we. Eternal in his thoughts. Catch that. We don't have an eternal theophany as much as we do have an eternal theophany. (laughs) There's a paradox for you. What do you mean? It's not a body like this body that's eternally existed over there just waiting for us to come to it. Your theophany is a word body. My dad preached it really well when he was here on, on, on the Wednesday night when he was here. But really what it is, is Brother Brown would talk about our bodies. These bodies were here on earth before we got here. They were here in chemical form. 
right back down to the base elements that they were, they were already here. All the dust was already here. That's why God could come and he could just take a handful of dust, blow into it, step into it. But it was already here that way. See, it's the same way with the theophany body. It's a word body. Therefore, over it in glory, there is already a theophany body because the, the, the base elements of it are already in existence. That's why he's not coming for anyone that's not in Christ. Because only those that are in Christ have a theophany body. He said, well, you're really breaking that down. Yeah, that's about, I don't know how many quotes shoved into <laughs> a paragraph worth of statements there. But that, that's, that's, that's the truth of it where he says, listen, we were always eternal in his thoughts. That's where the eternal aspect comes from because God's life is eternal. That when, when we take a quote, when we take it right down where the quote says that you always were a son of God. What was it? Yes, you always were a son of God because whom he did for no, he did predestinate. And he predestinated you to become a son of God, but you always were because you were in his mind before the foundation of the world. He put that in the seed, and when you were born here, he also put in a soul. It wasn't a pre-existing soul. He created the soul when you were born, and he put the seed, that seed that was pre-existing. Let me read it here this way. It says this, eternal in his thoughts, in our turn, become a many-membered spoken word seed manifested in flesh. And these eternal thoughts now manifest in the flesh are the sons of God. Even as we are so called. We did not become seed by the rebirth. We were seed. And therefore were reborn for only the elect can be reborn. Because we were seed in is the reason we could be quickened. And that's the key right there. The quickening power of God. The quickening life. If the same spirit that dwelled in Christ will be in you, it will also quicken your mortal body. It's a quickening power. It means to bring to life. To reconcile back. To restore. It's bring back. It's a quickening of something that's already in you. You always were a son of God. But when the word of God came by your way and you received the revelation of the new birth, it quickened the seed that was in there. Just hold this carefully in your mind. Now take the next step. Redeem means to buy back. It restores to the original owner. God, by his death and shed blood, brought back his own. He brought back the spoken word seed bride. There's another one that people go, that's a buzzword, Brother Andrew. No, that means a lot. If you've ever read the church age book, that means a lot. To be brought back the spoken word Seed bride. My sheep hear my voice, my word. And they follow me. So see, you always were a sheep. You never were a pig or a dog that turned into a sheep. That's impossible for every kind of life produces the same kind. And there is no changing of the species. For we were in the thoughts of God and then expressed in flesh. There had to come a day when we would hear his voice, the word, and hearing that voice become aware of our Father calling us. And recognize that we are the sons of God. We heard his voice and we cried out as did the prodigal son. Save me, O my Father. I'm returning to thee. 
That's the beauty of that story of the prodigal son. We call call them prodigals that have gone out. Every one of us in our first birth is a prodigal. Because we were in his mind before the foundation of the world. If you ever are a son of God, you always were a son of God. So you always were in his mind. But because you bypassed your theophany and came down to this, you became a prodigal where now when you recognize, that's my father. Father, save me. Restore me back again. See, we don't have knowledge of what it was like before this birth because we bypassed our theophany. That's why it's hard for us as humans to comprehend that. It is. It's still hard for me sometimes to comprehend that and to think in myself, no, because I didn't have a body existence before that. I was a thought in the mind of God. And he expressed that and I became an attribute. God's thought manifested in flesh. And if your God's thought manifests in flesh, then it has to come to a point where the word of God catches up with that thought and quickens that thought and brings it to life and raises it up. And now it could no more die than God himself can die. Let's stand to our feet. Let me just put this one in here because I think this is good for everybody. Good for me too. This is, what, is the, what is it that caused this misunderstanding? This is in the Smyrnian church age. If you want to go listen to a section of the Smyrnian church, the last section of the Smyrnian church age, fantastic to listen to. The church age book, so go read it, sorry. And uh, it says, what has caused this misunderstanding? The answer is experience. If you stop there, you could take that anyway. You say, the answer is that I didn't have an experience or something like that. No, he says, we've gone by experience and not the word. Away with experience as your measuring line. There is only one plumb line, only one rod, and that is the word. I say that for a reason because I want you to understand very clearly as young people, you do not need some sensational experience to receive the new birth. A revelation of this right here, because this is Jesus Christ. You say, do I have to understand all of it? No. of what this is doing for you today, of the word of God today, a revelation of who Jesus Christ is today, the word of God being revealed to you. What is the evidence of the new birth that you have ears to hear and a heart to understand? That you can receive the word of God in your day. That you can receive what's being spoken. Say, I've never had it where I've come to an altar and there'd just be a thunderbolt of lightning. Great. That's wonderful to have those things, but that's not what does it. 
It's a personal revelation between you and God alone. And not a historical God, but a God living in you today. You say, how will I know, Brother Andrew? You'll know. <laughs> it comes to a point, I'll just say this, it comes to the point with the new birth, young people, you can't, you can't explain it. It's like Nicodemus when he comes and says, you're a teacher sent from God, teach me. He says, no, you just got to be born again. I can't explain it all this way and that way, but what I can tell you is when you get it, you know. And if it isn't according to the word of God, you received a different spirit. How is it even possible? Oh, it's possible to speak in tongues under a wrong spirit. You'll find that in the same section of the church age book I told you to read. It's exactly right. You can speak in tongues by the Holy Spirit. You can speak in tongues by an evil spirit. Who's to know lest there be an interpretation? We want to be deadly sincere today. That we make sure that we're standing right here on the word of God. Amen. God bless you. Why don't we sing a song? Lead me, Lord, and I will follow. Beautiful beyond description.